Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. That's Genesis chapter 30, beginning to read at verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so that I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, Name your wages and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, You know how I have worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you, he asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-coloured lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages, You have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark-coloured will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. That same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them and all the dark-coloured lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between him and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond and plane trees, and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the water troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches and they bore young that was streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-coloured animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself, and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals, so that they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban, and the strong ones to Jacob. 
In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. Good evening, everyone. It's very good to see you tonight. Let me add my welcome to the welcome that Chris gave you. And please do keep your Bibles open at that um, reading from Genesis 30. And along with the Bible, you might find helpful to have to hand this little summary of the talk. It'll be in your bundle on the way in, and it gives you an outline of where we're going in the next few moments. And uh, I want to pray again as we look at God's Word together tonight. Father, as we see tonight the good plans that you have for your people, we pray that you'd help us to be a people who trust in you wholeheartedly for our whole lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by asking us all a question. For those of us who are Christians... When is the last time you made a decision that was uncomfortable, costly, risky, and you made that decision only because you were trusting in God and his promises? I was thinking about this question myself this week, and I was looking back over my life, and I remember when I was a student at university, if you caught me on a, on a very good day, I think I would have said to you that I would, I would do anything, go anywhere, say anything for the sake of the Lord. There was a, a wholeheartedness to my Christian trust in the Lord back when I, when I was a student, but I wouldn't be able to say the same today as easily. And as we go through the Christian life, it's amazing how easy it is to slip away from a a wholehearted confidence in the Lord that helps us to make uncomfortable and scary and costly decisions because we trust in him. And what about us tonight? I wonder how you'd answer that question. For some of us here, we may have a sense of disappointment with the Lord. We've tried to live a life of wholehearted trust in his his promises. We've stepped out in, in risky ways and we feel as if the Lord has let us down. We feel like our fingers have been burnt by that kind of life. There may be others of us who just through busy lives have forgotten that we're called to trust in the Lord wholeheartedly. There's just the the daily grind of life and and work and exams and jobs and uh, we just slip through life living for the the next day and we we haven't realized that there are big things that the Lord calls us to, to live for wholeheartedly. For those of us who aren't Christians here tonight, it's always wonderful to welcome you here. Thanks for coming. And the question I want you to think about tonight is this. Why is it worth wholeheartedly trusting the God of the Bible in such a way that you would make risky, uncomfortable, scary decisions? I put that question to you tonight because uh, tonight we have, I think, what is the most bizarre stories in the book of Genesis, if not in the whole Bible. But at the end of the story... 
we're going to see two women who make a huge decision, a decision that is uncomfortable, costly, and risky, and they make it because of what they discover about the Lord and his promises in this very story in front of us tonight. I'm talking about Leah and Rachel, the two wives of Jacob, the main man in our story tonight. And when they understand what has happened in this story, they make a decision to leave their father and their family and their homeland and to head hundreds of miles with Jacob to a foreign land they've never seen. Because they've come to realize that the God of Jacob, the God of the Bible, and the promises he makes to his people, they are worth staking your whole life on. And as we discover what they discovered in this story, I think we'll be helped to live lives that are wholeheartedly given over to the Lord, even if it means making uncomfortable, costly, risky decisions. You'll see on the handout, the plan is that we're going to run through the story, and then towards the end, we'll spend some time thinking through some of the big things we're learning about the Lord from Genesis 30. So as we dive into the story first, uh, we look at Jacob, and uh, he's a man without means. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that Jacob had to flee from his homeland because his brother Esau wanted to murder him. Uh, Jacob had stolen Esau's birthrights, his blessings through deception, and uh, Esau was fuming. Uh, Jacob then uh, falls in love with the beautiful Rachel, But because he has no money and because his father-in-law makes a a second-hand car salesman look very honorable, uh, Jacob has to work 14 years to pay the bride price first for Leah and then for Rachel. And we pick up the story in verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so that I can go back to my own Homelands. Jacob's desire here is a good one. He wants to go back to the land that God had promised to give him. But Jacob has no means. He has no sheep, no cattle, or no servants. He, he had to flee his own homeland in a rush because of his brother wanting to kill him. He had no money. And he's hardly in a position now to make a long journey with a large family across a wilderness to the promised land where he has no home and no resources. And so notice 25, Jacob is asking Laban to send him on his way. He's asking for Laban to to bless him. And I think to, to throw in a few sheep along the way, to kind of give him a good start in life as he heads off with his two daughters to the promised land. It's a reasonable request. After all, at the end of verse 26, Jacob says to Laban, you know how much work I've done for you. And we'll see through the story that this hard work has been remarkably fruitful. Because of Jacob's hard work, Laban is now a remarkably wealthy man. He should be thanking Jacob for all that he's done for him. But Laban is a man without morals. Look at verse 27. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. In other words, Laban doesn't want to lose his star employee. 
First, he deceived Jacob into marrying Leah, and now after making huge amounts of money out of him, Jacob refuses to bless Jacob and send him on his way. Laban is a man without morals. But there is one ray of hope for Jacob. Verse 28, Laban finally offers to pay Jacob a salary. But you wouldn't trust Laban to sell you a, a second-hand goat, let alone a second-hand car. And um, Jacob has to come up with a scheme that is so appealing to Laban that Laban doesn't want to tinker with it at all. And so look at what Jacob comes up with. Verse 31. Jacob says, don't give me anything. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat, and they will be my wages. The key thing we need to know about farming at this point is that the normal pattern is that sheep are white and that goats are dark. White or dark, not multicolored. You got that? That's the one key farming lesson for tonight. Sheep are white, goats are dark, and they are not multicolored. And here, Jacob says to the scheming Laban, How about this for a salary? I'll only take from your flock the oddities, the exceptions. Not the white sheep or the dark goats, but the the kind of weird ones, the the speckled ones, the one in ten ones. And even the greedy Laban cannot shake Jacob's hand quick enough. Look at verse 34. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. You can imagine Laban laughing his head off as he headed home after the deal. What a loser Jacob is. It's like stealing candy from a baby. But Laban is not finished. Look at verse 35. That same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled and spotted female goats. And he placed them in the care of his sons. And then they went three days journey between himself and Jacob. Every uh, Christmas time in my family, there's always a scoundrel who goes through the box of quality streets and nicks all the best chocolates. The, uh, in my case, the Brazil nut and caramel chocolates, they're my favorite. They always seem to go straight away. And here Laban works through the flock and he nicks all the best stuff. Well, in this case, he nicks all the bits that Jacob will want. He takes away all the multicolored animals out of Jacob's flock, and he takes them three days away. And he says to Jacob, oh, you want to have wages that are speckled? Have a go at that flock, made up only of pure white sheep and dark goats. And from that, he has to create some money with speckled sheep. Laban is relentless. He's a man without morals. Well, how does Jacob respond? A method without explanation. (laughs) He gets some branches, and then verse 38. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs, 
so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches, and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. What on earth is going on here? (laughs) One of the joys of having a youth worker on the staff team who's also a qualified vet is that I was able to ask him this week if mating sheep who look at stripy bits of wood produce (laughs) stripy lambs, and he was able to confirm that this is not a thing, (laughs) scientifically. There's a reason why when you go around the peat district, you don't see farm after farm with troughs lined up with bits of peeled bark in front of the troughs and sheep mating in front of the... it's, It's not a thing. It's possible that um, Jacob was copying a a superstition of his day regarding how to grow flocks. We, We can't be sure. But even if he was copying a superstition, how can you explain the dramatic results? We do get a hint that Jacob uses um, selective breeding. Verse 41 talks about him him picking the the strong animals and leaving the weak ones behind. But even that kind of selective breeding, which does have long-term implications, it it wouldn't have changed a flock over six years like it does here. Now, that's not the the reason why Jacob has this crazy results. And so without any explanation, we are simply told that Jacob keeps on peeling bark off his branches and animals keep on producing multicolored offspring. Finally, an ending without doubt, verse 43. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. I sort of wonder how it kind of it played out. Maybe a bit like this. You know, after a few years, Laban's sons have been over in this valley three days away. They've been looking after their flock. And over here, Jacob's been looking after his flocks in a different valley. And I imagine Laban's sons saying to each other one day, boys, you know, do you want to have a bit of a laugh? Let's go across the valley. Let's see how Jacob's getting on with his speckled sheep. Let's have a look. And they, they, they kind of pass out of their valley. They, they crest the hill into the next valley. And as they crest the hill, they look down into the valley and they see one field. And in that field, there is just a sea of life, animals everywhere, hundreds, thousands of animals milling around. And then in the adjacent field, there's a, a, a tiny little flock, I don't know, two or three sheep, a couple of goats. And as they look down at this scene, they're laughing and nudging one another. What a loser Jacob is. Look what he's done. But then as they walk down the hillside into the valley and they get closer and closer to the, to the fields, the, the, the smile vanishes from their face. As they get closer and closer, they realize that in the field heaving with life, every single animal is streaked and speckled and spotted. And in the adjacent field, two or three sheep, a couple of goats, they're the ones that are pure colored and they cannot believe it. Their inheritance, their father's possession in six years has gone from loads to almost nothing. And this loser Jacob is now one of the wealthiest men around. And so they complain bitterly in verse one of chapter 31. 
Jacob has taken everything our father owns and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And they are right. You cannot dispute the facts. They are literally there in black and white for all to see. And so it's a remarkable story. It begins with a man with no means, trapped by a man with no morals, ending with this extraordinary reversal and of unbelievable blessing coming Jacob's way. And what are we to make of this story? Well, it's certainly not a farming manual. God is the hero, and we are learning some wonderful truths about God and his plans for his people. You'll see in the handout, the first thing we learn is this. God is committed to blessing his people. We need to see that this is, this is God at work. This is God's handiwork. And to see this, two big markers for us tonight. The first is back in Genesis 28. So if you have a Bible, just flick back a couple of pages to Genesis 28, verse 14. This takes place... 14 years earlier, Jacob is on the run from his brother Esau and God appears to him in a vision and he makes a wonderful promise to Jacob. He says this, verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. That is the promise God makes to Jacob that's hanging over this whole Jacob's cycle and then if you flip back again to Genesis 30, the, the, the key summary verse at the end of the chapter, verse 43, that little word that, that says he grew exceedingly prosperous, it's the same Hebrew word that occurs back in chapter 28 when God says he will spread out and fill the earth. Recently, I've um, taken up a new hobby of baking bread and I've discovered lots of ways to ruin bread and one of the ways you can ruin bread is to put too much dough into the bread tin when you put it into the oven. You know what happens as the, as the yeast expands, well, the, the yeast does its work and the bread rises. Because there's too much dough in the tin, it, it just overflows out over the side of the tin. It goes everywhere in the oven. It causes a mess. But it just can't be contained. It, it just bursts out. And this Hebrew word that comes in 28 and in chapter 30 it has this sense of, of breaking out, of bursting everywhere. There's just too much blessing. It can't be contained. And, and at, one, at one day, it will just go everywhere. God has said it will happen. And here it happens in the life of Jacob. That's one big hint that this is God's doing. But there's one even clearer clue. And you'll see the handout over the page. Chapter 31, verse 9 to verse 13. Jacob is trying to explain here to his amazed wives, Leah and Rachel, how it was that some stripy bark was able to produce such an amazing result. And he gives the game away. Look at verse 10. In the breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, and spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. 
I think this is the first mention of insider trading in the Bible. God is the one in the know. He always knows the future. And God knows that in the future, speckled animals are in. They're the ones who are going to be mating lots. And, and he, he, has, he gives Jacob a dream, and he says to Jacob in the dream, street animals are going up big time. Put everything you have on streak. And that's what Jacob does. That's, that's why he comes to Laban with this bizarre proposal in the first place. He knew from a dream from God that street animals were going to take off. And the whole thing with bark, well, maybe he thought that was the means by which God would do it. We, don't, we can't be sure. But the big point was he knew God was going to be at work to multiply the streaked and spotty and speckled runts for his glory. The big thing we are seeing here is that God is committed to blessing his people. It's all very well for Jacob and his massive flock, but what about us here tonight? God promised to bless Jacob and his descendants also, and by faith we are brought into that family of God. And uh, God doesn't promise to bless us tonight with lots of stripy sheep. You'll be glad to know, I think, Many centuries after Jacob, God did another bizarre thing that confounded the wisdom of the world. God did a a foolish thing, a weak thing that was a powerful thing. He sent his son to die on a cross, the death of a criminal, a shameful, weak death, the kind of death that made his enemies laugh, thinking they had won once and for all. But on the third day, he rose and showed that he had a laugh last, the last laugh. And in his rising from the dead, he secured for all his people eternal life and eternal blessing. And now in this life, we experience something of that blessing. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ now. But in the new creation, we will experience then the fullness of the blessing won for us in Christ. And once we realize that God is committed to blessing his people then we know that those new creation blessings will be ours. It'll be like that bread bursting out of the tin. There'll be just too much blessing. It'll go everywhere. It'll break out into our lives. And the cross of Christ shows us how committed God is to blessing his people. The story of Jacob, it prevents us from having a a trite or simplistic understanding of God's blessing. If you look at his life, it's a a graph of up and down, 14 years of sort of slavery almost, lots of setbacks, but God does keep his promises. And for us too, our lives may well be marked by ups and downs, but we know that in the new creation, God's commitment to his blessings will come to us in their fullness. The second thing is that God's blessing cannot be thwarted by our sin. Now, in this particular chapter, Jacob happens to behave really quite well. He acts with integrity and honesty, um, I think. But before this chapter, the reason why he had no money was because he cheated his brother out of the inheritance and had to flee before he was murdered. And within 20 verses after our chapter, he'll be back deceiving again. So let's not have a rosy view of Jacob. He, is, he was a sinner, 
and he remains a sinner, a scoundrel who deceives. And yet God blesses him. And the reason why God blesses him is not because of Jacob, Jacob's moral standing, but because of God's grace. If you ever want to waste some time on the internet, then there are lots of videos around that um, show people experiencing the, the principle of karma. So uh, yeah, someone tries to push their friend into a swimming pool and they end up falling in the pool themselves. Or a man goes to kick a cat and he ends up falling over on his backside. Or so, whatever it is. But um, there's lots of examples of people kind of trying to do bad things and they themselves experiencing bad things, a kind of karma principle. And it's amazing how often Christians allow that kind of karma dynamic to seep into their view of how God relates to them. We tell a lie. We gossip. We don't forgive. We fail to love. We, we mess up morally somehow. And we then fear that God is going to pay us back for what we've done. Maybe we'll fail our exams. Maybe that dream job that we want, we won't get Maybe our health will fail. But Genesis 30 shows us that when it comes to how the Lord relates to his people, that karma dynamic is totally wrong. If God were to give us what we deserve, then every single person here tonight would experience an awful lot of trouble from the Lord. But that's not how he relates to us. He relates to us by his grace. He gives us what we do not deserve. That's why scoundrels like Jacob experience such blessing. And that's always how God relates to people who cling on to him in trust and faith. And so for us tonight, God doesn't have a, a plan A for our lives, which was really good, but when we make a mistake, we blow it and plan A is taken away from us and then we're left with plan B, which is okay, but not as good as plan A. It's very easy for Christians to think back to past mistakes, past decisions, past sins, and to think that they thwart God's plan of blessing for us in the future, that we've blown it. But this story helps us to know that God only ever has one plan for his people. It's always plan A. It's a brilliant plan of blessing. And our sin cannot thwart that plan. And it may well be until the new creation that we can fully see how God is able to work his blessing into our sin, into our lives. But he did it for Jacob, and he'll do it for us. The final thing we learn about God is God's blessing cannot be thwarted by others. Laban thought he could outwit Jacob. He was a schemer, a scoundrel, but in taking on Jacob, he actually was taking on the God of the universe. Four centuries later, the people of God would once again be in a foreign country enslaved by a cruel taskmaster who would not let them go even though they wanted to go back to the promised lands. Pharaoh. And he took on God. And he lost. And you know that little detail when, when, when Pharaoh finally let them, the people go and they were rushing out of Egypt. Do you remember what happened? The Egyptians were moved to be favorable towards the people and they gave the people of Israel their gold and silver. And in one day, Israel plundered the wealth of Egypt. And they went from a nation of have-nothings to a nation of great wealth because the Lord blessed them. The same 
pattern at work here in Jacob. It's a picture of what the Lord does for us in Christ as he rescues us from slavery to sin, showering us with blessing and bringing us safely to the promised land. And nothing can thwart his plans. One modern hymn puts it this way. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. And so as we finish, if nothing can stop God's blessings coming to his people, what kind of people should we be? I want to just look at the example of those two women that I mentioned at the start, Leah and Rachel. If you have your Bibles, Genesis 31 verse 16 picks up the story for us. Jacob has explained to them how it was that his Flocks had grown so quickly, it was the Lord who did it all. And he presents them a choice. Will you stay with your father Laban, or will you come with me to the promised land? And look what they say in verse 16. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. They realize that God is the one who moves wealth around. God is the one who controls blessing. And they realize that if they want to experience and be part of God's plan for the world, they want to experience his blessing, then they they need to stick with Jacob. They need to go with him to the promised land. And so they say, we'll go. Do whatever God has told you to do. We're, We're with you. And so they make a uncomfortable costly, radical decision to leave their father, their family, and their homeland to go with Jacob and to go with Jacob's God because they have seen he is the one who controls blessing. And for us Christians, there is no one or nothing in this universe who can guarantee and ensure our eternal blessing apart from the one God, the God of Jacob, the God of the Bible. And he has made promises to us that in the new creation we will be beyond death, beyond tears, beyond suffering, in a world put right forever. And he is committed to his blessings for his people. And so he calls us to be a people who wholeheartedly follow him now. Even if decisions come our way that are uncomfortable and costly and risky, we can make those decisions because we know what is to come in the new creation. Let me pray. Father, we are overwhelmed again at your grace to your people that you would choose to commit yourself to blessing a people like us, a people who fail and who sin and who wobble. Father, we thank you that your plans for your people are so much better than we deserve. We thank you that you plan to bless. And we thank you that you are so committed to blessing us that you would send your son into the world 
to die a foolish, shameful death and so confound the wisdom of this world. And Father, please help us to be a people who wholeheartedly stand on your promises. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.